A very good Monday and welcome to today's My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. Because it is Monday, that means it's My Ag Life and Almonds. And Taylor Charleston will have that feature report coming up in the show. And I'll have regional and national agricultural news beginning with regional ag news right after this. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. The California Department of Food and Agriculture's Pest Exclusion Branch is announcing a vacancy on the California Tree, Nut Tree, and Grapevine Improvement Advisory Board. The board is composed of 11 voting members that represent all areas of the state involved in production of poem and stone fruit trees, nut trees, olive trees, and grapevines. The current board vacancy is a midterm vacancy for one representative of the poem fruit industry, which expires on December 31st of 2023. Members serve for fixed terms of up to two Two years with the possibility of reappointment for three consecutive terms. Members meet at least twice per year, but can meet more frequently if needed. The members receive no compensation, but are entitled to payment of necessary traveling expenses in accordance with the rules of the California Department of Human Resources. The mission of the California Fruit Tree, Nut Tree, and Grapevine Improvement Advisory Board is to enable production of the highest possible quality grapevine, delicious fruit, and ornamental nursery stock, and to help develop and promote consumer education. Individuals interested in being considered for this board appointment are encouraged to attend the advisory board meeting scheduled from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Monday, November November 7th at the California Department of Food and Agriculture in Sacramento. The board will nominate and elect new board members at that meeting, and those interested in being considered will be asked to provide a brief statement of qualifications. For more information, log on to the California Department of Food and Agriculture website at cdfa.ca.gov. Western Growers, Global Organization for Agriculture Organization, University of California Agriculture and Natural Resources, Fresno State University of California Merced, and Fresno Merced Future of Food Innovation will all gather to celebrate agriculture and robotics. The FIRA USA 2022 is hosting its inaugural three-day event in Fresno at the Convention Center. This is where the industry can see the future of ag in the making, according to a press release. The event will be October 18th through the 20th. Here, the industry can get a first-hand look at the cutting-edge robotics and technologies that are shaping the future of agriculture. There will also be on-camera demonstrations and other manufacturer demonstrations throughout the day. Each ticket includes lunch, and attendees will get to mingle with other farmers, robot manufacturers, industrials, and scientists in the fields. For more information, log on to fira.agtech.com. That's spelled F-I-R-A. 
Significant soil disease and plant virus pressure over the past three months have come to a head in the Salinas Valley. Growers have experienced yield losses of 30 to 80 percent or more in many iceberg and leaf lettuce crops, forcing them into increasingly younger fields to savage what product they can before disease or heat and rain-related issues cause further losses. Case weights have plummeted in most lettuce crops. Some 24-count liner lettuce is currently weighing as low as 28 to 32 pounds, nearly 15 pounds under normal industry weight ranges. Supply challenges and shortages are expected for the next four to six weeks or until the desert growing season is fully underway. Susan Close, Senior Director of Research and Development for Church Brothers based in Salinas, California, joined the company about a year ago. Soon after starting, she implemented a technology system from Intelligestics, whom she'd worked with for years at other companies to improve vegetable product cooling efficiency. She quickly began to see the benefits. She says with the implementation of the IntelliCool, they improved cooling efficiencies by 15 to 30 percent and transferred the vacuum cooling process from a static data and operator experience to a data dynamic decision-making process. Intelligistics' IntelliCool is designed to create a smarter cooling process for both tunnel and vacuum tube cooling. It is a software system with probes and hubs that works with the off-shelf hardware components within a company's existing cooling system. It digitizes the data and ties it into the system and can adjust automatically during the cooling process. Close says the system adds value in several ways. Because it allows operators to see temperatures in real time on a smartphone or tablet, it allows each load to be custom cooled, which saves energy as cooler product does not have to be cooled as much as warmer product. And she said many operators have become wary of freezing a load, so their tendency was to not cool a load enough. She said it also improves the quality and shelf life and cools each load to its individual needs. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10%, and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with phycoterra. The Almond Board of California and the almond industry are continuing to push sustainability practices in the state through the 2025 zero waste goal, consisting of using leftover almond whole and shell waste For additional purposes including whole orchard recycling, animal consumption, active carbon sources, and even human consumption in certain instances, Almond Board Chief Scientific Officer Josette Lewis explained why this goal is good not only for the industry, but also for almonds marketing to the consumer. The concept of zero waste really resonates with an important segment of the uh, consumers of almonds, Um, and that's been shown by... um, consumer surveys, and really plays an important role in our marketing of almonds. It distinguishes almonds in a much more crowded marketplace of snacks and plant-based foods and uh, tasty and healthy food products. So that zero waste is an important part of our marketing uh, appeal of almonds. And then it also adds an out, a value back to the industry itself. So the way that goal is stated, it's Uh, putting everything we grow to optimal use. That means 
we use all of it. So the hulls, the shells, obviously the kernel and the, the woody biomass of the trees themselves, all of it gets used. That's the zero waste. But the optimal is really the value proposition back to the industry. So right now, we have uses for all those co-products. And we're also striving to increase the value of those uses, looking for higher value market opportunities for particularly whole shells and the trees. And if you go back, you know, five to 10, maybe 10 years ago, uh, almond growers often didn't pay for the hulling and shelling of their product, that the value that was generated by the huller and sheller selling those hulls and shells on to the dairy industry created enough value that covered the cost of hulling. And that is not the case now. So if we can diversify those markets beyond the dairy industry where they go today uh, and, and find some higher value ones, then hopefully that will return uh, back to the grower. On the animal consumption side of using almond hulls as a value-added product, research has been focused on use in dairy feed embedding from the shells, but more recently, Almond Board is looking into hull-based feed for the chicken broiler and egg industries. We do have a good-sized poultry industry in the Central Valley, and we've done some exciting research uh, with some leading poultry researchers that shows that, like for dairy cows, um, in this case, you have to grind up the holes because a chicken is obviously a lot smaller than a cow and um, that almond holes provide good quality feed. So chickens will put on weight at a very good pace um, as well as uh, you will get um, good quality eggs and that the almond holes in fact have some additional value, not just as a replacement feed in terms of um, yield in the, in the meat industry, but also because it can help uh, combat some diseases. Another area of research is focusing on almond holes' ability to be broken down into different carbon sources, and those sources can be utilized in a wide array of areas. There's a whole series of different kinds of carbon products that uh, can be generated by burning agricultural uh, material, particularly could be any of the whole shells or the trees themselves under different conditions. So the sort of cheapest way, the cheapest product you get is something like charcoal. I mean, if you ever grill over uh, hardwood charcoal, you know, almonds, a good source of that, uh, kind of uh, charcoal. But we've been looking at is uh, different different ways of burning, depending on how much oxygen is used, the temperatures uh, and the pressures in the in the uh, in the way that that almond biomass is burned. So it's processes called torrefaction and at a higher end pyrolysis. Many uh, food processing or factories that have um, wastewater will have to treat that wastewater before it's released. And activated uh, carbon is a big part of that water treatment system. So that can get at a pretty big scale if you think about all the urban and all the cities in California that have to have these treatment facilities and some of the industrial. And then above activated carbon, there's something called carbon black. Carbon black, you think about any kind of plastic, 
or rubber that is black in color has carbon black in it. That's a little higher quality carbon than activated carbon is, and that would be in things like plastic pots and rubber tires. And as I learned from Patagonia, it's used in their wetsuits. So lots of opportunities around carbon black. It makes that um, plastic or, car or rubber more durable. And that, you can imagine, is a really large volume of material. And then going above that, there's a form of carbon that is using lithium-ion batteries. So this is a much um, higher value, maybe not quite as large a volume as something like carbon black, but um, very high value type of carbon that could be made potentially from um, almond biomass. And, and then there's additional technologies that can create bioenergy, um, biodiesel and biogas from very uh, controlled burning of these products, not the sort of first generation bioenergy plants that we had in the Central Valley and that largely have closed. This is a really clean technology that can meet the uh, low carbon fuel standards of California, for example. So a whole lot of different products by very uh, by burning our almond co-products in a very controlled uh, way. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. This segment is sponsored by Bee Hero, the leading almond pollination provider. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure. Be precise. Be Hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP Sales at 559-467-9699. Bee Hero, superior bees, superior pollination. The Grocery Dopio Performance Report shows digital sales improved in the third quarter of 2022, albeit lower than 2021 levels. The report shows 13.7% of all grocery sales in 2022 are digital, worth $87 billion. There was a 14.4% increase in digital sales in the third quarter of 2022 compared to the second quarter of the year. However, inflation is impacting what buyers are purchasing. The report shows shoppers' basket size declined by five to six items in the third quarter. Shoppers are faced with a 21% increase in price per item in 2022, and 73% of shoppers have moved to lower price brands in response to increased prices. Meanwhile, grocery retailers face $2 billion in lost sales due to canceled online orders this year and a $7.5 billion loss for items not in stock. Deputy Agriculture Secretary of Agriculture Jewel Bronoff saying the latest announcement of assistance for distressed farmers is just the beginning. There's more to come. This is just the start. USDA is going to look for ways to add tools, to add flexibility, to intervene more quickly, and well before borrowers facing financial hardship become at risk of losing their farm. Deputy Secretary of Agriculture Jewel Brona. Online nutrition assistance receipts redeemed $9.4 billion in benefits during the first two years of the COVID-19 pandemic. USA's Economic Research reported that the redemptions came from the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, along with the Pandemic Electronic Benefit Transfer Benefits, or PEBT. The programs allowed users to buy groceries online from authorized retailers. The pilot launched with several retailers in 2019 and early 2020 before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
The pilot opened two additional states and retailers in response to the pandemic. The number of participating retailers expanded significantly in the first two years of the pandemic. By December of 2020, USDA authorized 13 retailers growing to 116 in December of 2021 and to 148 in March of 2022. In 2020, SNAP and PEBT recipients redeemed $1.5 billion in benefits online. In 2021, this amount more than quadrupled to $6.2 billion. Online redemptions in the first quarter of 2022 totaled $1.9 billion. A group of bipartisan lawmakers from Florida wants the Department of Agriculture to declare a disaster area for Florida counties impacted by Hurricane Ian. The lawmakers made the request last week in a letter to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. The letter also asked Vilsack to make assistance available to growers whose crops were damaged or destroyed. The letter states that to ensure that they can recover from losses and continue their important service of feeding America, the expeditious approval of a disaster declaration is warranted and necessary in order to have a successful winter and spring harvest season. The lawmakers say Florida's growers have a unique role in the American food economy as one of the only locations in the United States where major agricultural production can occur in the winter and spring months. Also last week, USA's Economic Research Service reported Florida accounted for 1.7 percent of U.S. farm sector cash receipts in 2021. A new interactive online tool for visualizing and exploring freeze date trends and other climate patterns is available thanks to Purdue University and the Department of Agriculture. Purdue's Midwestern Regional Climate Center partnered with USA's Midwest Climate Hub to create the digital tool, which covers 25 states in the upper Midwest, the Northeast, and Appalachia. The tool may interest producers of tree fruits, grapes, and row crops to help them take advantage of longer growing seasons. Agricultural advisors, weather forecasts, University Extension staffers and state climatologists also have expressed interest in a tool. While many think of a freeze at 32 degrees, farmers are interested in values that are colder or warmer. Row crops, for example, can survive 28 degrees while fruit trees are more sensitive to freezing or near freezing temperatures. And a freeze date tool allows users to query their desired temperatures. For more information on the tool, visit the Purdue University website. As mentioned in a show earlier this week, the American Farm Bureau Federation held an event last weekend for the dairy industry to come together to discuss the federal milk marketing order. Farm News reporter Michael Clements shares what the farmers, processors, and others associated with the dairy business discussed. Farm Bureau hosted a federal milk marketing order form in Kansas City, Missouri over the weekend. AFBF economist Danny Munch says the discussion focused on several topics. The turnout was great. We had over 180 farms, cooperatives, processors, and other industry-adjacent organizations represented. We had four different panel sessions with a variety of different speakers about differing dairy issues, including class one pricing issues, class three and four pricing issues, and then general ways to simplify the federal order system. All of our members were very engaged, and there was just really this sign of goodwill and cordialness between the attendees. The three-day event was in response to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack calling on the dairy industry to come together. So in the past, the dairy industry has often been looked at as factioned. Farmers often separate from their co-ops or separate from processors. So to bring them together under one roof and discuss these issues was the intention. And I think 
at the end of the conference, it really was a strong, resounding yes result that that happened. Everyone was able to listen to each other and just a strong feeling of unity across the industry after those discussions. Following the event, AFBF and the National Milk Producers Federation concluded with a unified goal. We were able to put together a statement with the National Milk Producers Federation as well as a number of other dairy organizations that basically committed to modernization of the federal orders. We all support the existence of federal orders and supporting the dairy industry, and we're just generally encouraged by all the healthy discussion. Learn more at FB.org. Michael Clements, Washington. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Verdesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Aegean Robotics, the Philadelphia company behind the autonomous borough, describes it as a collaborative robot. What the roughly 27-inch tall, 4.5 by 3-foot cart on wheels Ashley does is takes over some of the heavy lifting, according to Chris Thiessen, head of California Sales and Service for Borough. In doing so, it helps improve worker efficiency and overall worker well-being while reducing injuries. Algean showed off its pop-up autonomy at the recent FURA USA Ag Robotics Conference in Fresno. So Burrow is a, a self-propelled autonomous cart, for lack of better terms, and Burrow what what we do is we come in alongside people and we help uh, and assist them in, in moving product. Case in point would be table grapes. So in table grapes, you have traditionally a picker and a packer as a team. The picker is in the field. The packer is outside of the field at the edge of the field. And you have to you have to move that produce from deep inside the field all the way outside of the field. And usually they're using a, a traditional wheelbarrow to just physically push that thing and manhandle it out of the field a couple hundred pounds at a time. And so... What Burrow does is you, you provide an autonomous, we, we, we call it pop-up autonomy, and that pop-up autonomy allows one user to say, I need to go from point A to point B, and that point B is the start of the row, and then they press a button and say, now navigate down that row. And then Burrow autonomously makes its way down, uh, it knows the edges of the row, and it knows how to follow them. It makes it to the picker. The picker loads Burrow up with fruit, takes the empty totes that their packer sent in with them, and then either sends it back to their packer or lets it go to the next picker. And so what you do, the reason there's a second picker in the field is because you take one group of two people and you add two more groups of two people and make them a Burrow group. They maintain their piece rate as an individual picker packer but they're utilizing a piece of equipment. So from a grower's perspective, you can support lots of people with one piece of equipment and then have kind of a small fleet to cover, let's say, a whole crew of 50 or 60 people. You might need eight or 10 burrows. Cameras mounted on burrow help it follow workers or guide it down the rows, Teason said. To set up a route, users simply put it in training mode. Burrow comes with four-wheel drive and can run up to five miles per hour. We're not doing voice activation, but... There's cameras on front and cameras on back, and the cameras see the person, they follow the person, and then in its training mode, 
you tell it, hey, I want to train Route 1, Route 2, Route 3, Route 4, whatever route you want to train, Burrow will remember where you walked and where you took it, and then it will repeat that, that path over and over. So if you go from a packer that's out of the avenue all the way to the picker's row, that's one route. And it will re- retrace that until the pickers finish their row and move to a new row. They delete the route and they train a new route. And it takes a matter of the amount of time it takes you to walk from point A to point B. Unlike a drone, which has a follow me function based on GPS or a beacon, Burrow doesn't use those signals. Instead, Teason said, it's all visual and based on computer memory and remembering a route. Conceptually, the follow me, yeah, conceptually it's the same. However, we don't use a beacon. We don't use my GPS location to show Burrow. It's all visual. So it sees you and then it follows you. And then from that follow, that period of following, it will retrace that route. Now then when you're in the row, it's no longer following a person inside the row. It knows what the row looks like and how to navigate it without trying to duck into the next row. It knows this is my row, this is where I need to be, and I need to go to, let's say, 100 meters into the row. If nobody touches me, then I come right back. And then the packer can assess from there. So that distance into the row is adjustable. So traditionally here in California, your rows are about 190 to 200 meters long. Usually people are picking to the halfway mark, which is right at 90 meters. So our default setting is to the middle of the field, 100 meters, that's adjustable. And if the user says, hey, I want to go 250 meters and it's a 200 meter row, Burrow knows to see the end of the row, stop for the end of the row, and then it doesn't continue outside of the row. Teason said it's difficult to calculate the increased efficiency Burrow generates because operations vary greatly. But he said generally the robot will increase productivity in table grapes by between 16% and 50%. In doing so, it eliminates the equivalent of about 5 to 6 miles a day walked. In the end, it reduces the physical stress put on the workers who have to ferry the produce back and forth. Table grapes, blueberries, any fresh commodity, you have varietal differences from field to field, you have quality differences from field to field. In general, kind of Moving through the weeds on that, we have seen between 16 and 50% bump in productivity in table grapes. Depends on how people are packing traditionally and what we're coming in and kind of helping them tweak just a little bit. If they're in a house pack scenario where they're only picking in the field and then they're taking that produce to the packing house, we're seeing closer to 50% gains in that picking process because that is specifically all of that walk time. And then if you, if you want to think about it in steps saved or time saved, that's Burroughs running about six miles a day, five to six miles a day for, let's say, in a picking scenario, four to five people. So you do the math, you're saving a lot of steps. And that's energy that people have at the end of the day. They can go home to their families and not be drained. And safety aspect as well. There's a lot of rolled ankles, brained wrists, things like that from dumping things that having a burrow kind of prevents a lot of that as well. The five-horsepower Burrow can run an 8- to 10-hour workday on a single battery charge using regular 120-volt outlets. So we're doing a full 8- to 10-hour day. The chemistry that we're using now is a full day, no issues, and we also have the ability to double the battery uh, capacity. So right now we're 8- to 10-hour day. You can essentially double that. Burrow is priced at about $20,000 a piece, with the actual cost depending on volume. When looking at payback, Teeson said growers shouldn't look at just the dollars, but also at how the robot improves workers' well-being. So just for, for round numbers, we're right about $20,000. That changes with volume per, per unit. 
when you start to break down the numbers, we're seeing growers have them paid back between three and five months. I mean, yes, yeah, $16 an hour, but what's the burdened rate? It's not $16 an hour, it's a lot more than that. And so uh, when you start to, to, to take those numbers into account, yeah, we, we, we can see some really compelling results. The basic burrow can be outfitted with optional packages that allow it to tow trailers of plants in a nursery setting, for example. A crop camera package allows it to conduct yield scouting, such as cluster counts in grapes. This is Vicki Boyd reporting for My Ag Life. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Map Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.